You can open it up to Galatians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 6 to 14 this morning. If you're using the Bibles in the seats, that will be on page 824 in most of those Bibles. Galatians 3, verses 6 to 14. You may have heard back in the 1990s, if you were alive then, the the highly publicized custody battle over baby Richard, a boy who since infancy had grown up in an adoptive family, but at four years old was ordered by the court to be returned to his biological father whom he had never met. Um, And evidently when he was being removed from the only family that he knew to go live with a man who was a stranger to him, Richard had cried, I'll be good, don't make me leave, I'll be good. And it's a heart-wrenching story, and yet it, it illustrates an innate human assumption, um, and that is that if we're good enough, we'll be accepted by those we want to have love us. That's an innate human reflex in relation to God especially, that, that if we're good enough, we'll be accepted by God. God, don't reject me. Don't make me leave. I'll be good. Now... Most of us at CBC already know that we don't get into God's good graces by being good enough. We believe that we can't be good enough through our own efforts. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died. Jesus took the penalty that that we deserve, the penalty we couldn't pay ourselves. Jesus paid it with his life on our behalf. And as a result, God has graciously extended an invitation for us to be reconciled to God and to become part of God's family. God uh, has invited us to to receive this gift and and to receive it. uh, We don't have to do anything but, but just to accept God's grace. To, to put our faith in Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf on the cross. Most of us know that, that this is how we begin a relationship with God. It's how we get into to God's family and God's good graces. And yet, once we get in, often we flip. And we think a whole different set of rules apply for how we stay in. We get in by grace. But we try to stay in by being good. We get in through what Christ has done. And yet we try to stay in by our efforts, by what we do. We get in by trusting a person. And yet we try to stay in by doing the rules, by keeping the commandments. Well, this is what the Galatians were were trying to do. These early followers of Jesus whom Paul's writing to in this letter, they were trying to earn their right to to stay in, to to keep being a part of God's family. You see, the Galatians had begun their relationship with God when Paul preached to them about Jesus. Paul had come to Galatia. He had told them the good news about what Jesus had done for them and the grace God was offering them. And the Galatians had believed in Jesus. And as we saw last Sunday, verses 1 to 6, Paul says that as proof that, that God had accepted them to become a part of God's own family, God had come to be with them, giving them his presence, God's Holy Spirit. That's how the Galatians began. Now, the Galatians were were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. They were pagans. They were newbies to this whole God thing. 
It was the Jewish people who knew a lot more about God's ways because the Jews had God's scriptures and and the Jews had been following God as a nation, as an ethnic people for thousands of years. And so when some other Jewish Christian teachers from Jerusalem visited the Galatians, the Galatians welcomed them. And these Jerusalem teachers told the Galatians that to be part of God's family, they actually needed more than faith in Jesus. They also needed to become Jews. They needed to be circumcised in the case of the men and and then to live like Jews, obeying God's commands written in their Bibles, which at that time were the Old Testament. That's what it meant to be a Christian, these teachers taught. And the Galatians were, were zealous and were committed to Jesus. They wanted to please God, so they were game to do this. But Paul found out, and now Paul is writing to strongly warn the Galatians that this teaching is dead wrong. In fact, it's deadly. Paul's writing to assure the Galatians that they're already in. They've already believed in Jesus. And as proof that God has accepted them into his family, God has already given them his Holy Spirit. They're in. They don't need to do anything else. They've already got salvation. God has given it to them as a gift. Why would they turn around now and try to earn what they've already got? No, Paul insists, the way you live out your salvation is the same way you got your salvation. You lived saved exactly the way you get saved. You keep trusting in Jesus. But this goes against human nature. Because like baby Richard, we have this innate human impulse to want to pay our own way, to to earn our place. Just as one example of this, I I have a good friend who I've known for years, and and she's always been been passionate about Jesus. And and for years, she'd she'd wanted her dad to get to know Jesus, just like she knew Jesus. But her dad was never interested, for years. But then on his deathbed, through an almost miraculous uh, series of circumstances and events and conversations while he was battling cancer... Her dad had a personal encounter with Jesus and decided to follow Jesus. And my friend, as she reflected on this in wonder and joy, she said, I still can't believe it. I don't feel like I deserve it. I hadn't prayed enough for my dad. Have you ever thought something like that? I have. We innately think we should earn God's blessings. Like we don't deserve God's goodness unless we've been good enough or we've done enough but paul says no way we live the life of salvation the same way we got it in the first place not by doing stuff but by trusting a person to make this case paul turns to the bible and that's what we're going to see in today's passage in the space of eight verses that we're looking at in galatians paul quotes six different scriptures Paul goes back to the biblical story. He starts at the beginning where the people of God began. And Paul points us to Abraham, the founding father of God's people. Verse 6 of our passage, Paul begins by quoting from Genesis 15. And so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What was Abraham's relationship with God based on? Not on his own efforts to keep all of God's commands, but on his believing God. And by the way, the words believe and faith 
come up a lot in, in today's passage, and they're basically the same thing. Believe is the verb. Faith is the noun. I like the word trust because it reminds us that belief is never just an intellectual thing that happens up in your head. No, to believe in the Bible is to put your trust in something, to, to depend on something or someone, and it affects our whole lives. That's what Abraham did. He put his trust in God and the promises God made him. And Genesis says that that's why God considered Abraham to be righteous. Now, what does righteous mean? That's another word which shows up a lot in today's passage. And by the way, the word righteous is, is basically the same as the word justify, which also shows up in our passage. Righteous is the adjective. Righteousness is the noun. And justify is the verb. It means to declare righteous. And these words mean to be in a right relationship with God. They're relational words. They mean that God accepts you, that, that God doesn't have anything against you. They mean that as far as God is concerned, things are right, things are good between you and God. So why did God consider Abraham to be righteous, to be right with God? Not because Abraham did a bunch of stuff or obey God's commands, but rather because Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed God. And so Paul continues, since Abraham is the founding father of God's people, God's family, who's a part of his family? If he was right with God because he put his faith in God. Well, verse 7, it's those who put their faith in God like Abraham did. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Then Paul takes it a step further in verse 8. He says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Not just the Jews, the blood descendants of Abraham, but the Gentiles also. God would justify them too by faith. How would God justify the Gentiles? How would God declare them to be righteous? How would God consider them to be in right relationship with God? By their faith. And so Paul continues still in verse 8. God announced this gospel, this good news, in advance to Abraham. Genesis 18, 18. All nations, that is all Gentiles, will be blessed through you, God told Abraham. And so Paul concludes verse 9. Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now let's stop at this point because this is radical. This is a totally different way of understanding God than what the Jerusalem Christians were teaching. For the Jerusalem teachers, the children of Abraham were the Jews, those born as descendants of Abraham. But Paul says, no, not anymore, not just them. Not now that Jesus has come. Now it's not just Abraham's bloodline that makes you God's children. No, it's Abraham's faith. It's not Jewish blood you need, it's Jewish faith. It's the kind of faith that Abraham, the Jews' founding father, had. And then Paul adds, and this isn't really a new development, in, in, including the nations by faith um, isn't a new development because God told us all along that this was what he had in mind to do. Way back when God called Abraham to himself, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations. I'm going to bless the Gentiles through you. So that's where Paul points our attention. But of course, Abraham isn't the end of the story. 
He's only the beginning. A lot happens in the Bible after Abraham. Most pertinent to the issue Paul's addressing with the Galatians is that God gave Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, God's law, God's commands, right? Years later, during the time of Moses, that's a pretty important part of the story too. And God told the Israelites that everyone who kept all of God's laws would be blessed. But those who didn't keep God's laws would be cursed. That's found in Deuteronomy 27th and 28th, two long chapters, all about the blessings and cursings in relation to whether you keep God's law. In fact, Paul quotes it. He quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26 in verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But now the surprising thing is Paul turns this verse on its head. And again, this is completely different than what the Jerusalem teachers were teaching because in verse 10, Paul begins, it's actually those who rely on the works of the law who are under a curse. And to make this point, Paul hones in on two words in this verse. Continue and everything. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. Paul's saying this. If you want to try to stay in God's good graces by doing something, by obeying God's commands, here's what God requires. Only that you continue to do it. No slacking off. No vacations. No breaks. No slip-ups ever. And that you do everything written in the law. No cherry-picking. No short lists. No, you have to do it all. No exceptions. Here's the ironic thing about Christian communities which have legalistic environments, which, which focus uh, repeatedly on the importance of keeping God's laws. Very rarely do they focus on all God's laws. Almost always they have their short list. Their pet handful of laws which, which they elevate to be the most important rules that Christians are supposed to keep. These communities claim they're passionate about holiness, that, that they're super serious about people obeying God. But then they actually turn around and ignore most of God's laws and only focus on a few. Do you know why? Because it's too hard for them to keep them all. So they keep a few and they pretend that that's good enough. But, but here's what Paul's telling the Galatians. You started your relationship with God by faith, by putting your trust in Jesus. Do you want to continue it by getting circumcised and keeping God's laws like the Jews do? Well, here's what you have to do. For this to work, you have to continue. Always keeping God's commands. Never letting up, even for one moment. And you have to keep everything. What, I think there's 613 laws in the Old Testament Paul says, keep them all, every single one. Do you really want to live that way? This is a curse, Paul says. Why would you want to go that route, Paul says to the Galatians? God has already blessed you. He's welcomed you into his family. He's given you his own presence, God's Holy Spirit. And you didn't have to do anything to earn that blessing. It was a gift because you put your trust in Jesus. Are you now trying to earn what you already received for free? Why would you do that? Then Paul continues by saying, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a little faith and a little keeping God's commands added in. No, you have to choose faith 
or works, trusting a person or keeping the rules. These two are like oil and water. They don't mix. Either you're trusting Jesus or you're not. You're trusting your own efforts instead. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, Leviticus 18, 5, the person who does these things must live by them. The law is about doing it yourself. Faith is about trusting in what God has done for you. You have to choose. Trust a person, trust Jesus, or do the commands yourself. But here's the thing, Paul adds, the righteous live by faith, not by doing the commands. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live by faith. Now notice the, the common word in both these quotes from the Old Testament. The righteous live by faith. The person who does these things will live by them. Paul's saying there are two ways you can try to live out your salvation. You can live it by faith. Or you can live it by doing God's laws. These two don't mix. You have to choose one or the other. Choice one, you can choose faith. And God will justify you. Declare you to be in right relationship with God. God will accept you as a child of Abraham and welcome you with all the blessings that God promised Abraham. Or choice two, you can choose to continue to do everything written in God's law. Everything continually but that's not how god has chosen to justify people to accept them as righteous take your pick paul says but warning if you choose to live by keeping the commands you're under god's curse but paul that doesn't make any sense deuteronomy says if you keep god's laws you're blessed if you don't keep them you're cursed If you try your best to keep God's laws and you fail here or there, isn't that a lot better than not trying at all? How can a person who doesn't try to keep God's commands at all possibly be better off than the person who does try? Paul answers in verse 13. Because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole or a tree. Yes, it used to be that if you didn't keep the law continually, all the time, everything, all of it, you were under a curse. But guess what God did? God put that curse on Jesus. God put that curse on Jesus. God transferred that curse from failing to keep everything in the law from us and put it on Jesus. That's what happened when Jesus hung on the cross. He received our curse. And that means if we trust in Jesus, the curse has been taken away. It's passed from us to Jesus. It's gone. And there's nothing left for us but blessing. Isn't that awesome news? (laughs) So Paul concludes as he wraps it all up. Christ redeemed us. In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How do you get the blessing? Not by keeping the rules. But by trusting a person. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. This is how you get in 
on God's salvation. And this is also how you live it out. Not by keeping the rules, but by trusting a person. One of my favorite preachers, um, a pastor named Ron Steele, he once told the story about how he became a Christian. He grew up in the South. He'd been going to church pretty much his whole life since he was born. And everyone thought he was a Christian. He probably thought he was one too. Um, Now, the church that he grew up in gave a challenge just about every Sunday for people to come forward and to commit their lives more fully to God. And Ron Steele was, was a spiritually sensitive young man. And so he says that just about every week he'd go forward because he knew that since last Sunday he'd tried, but, but he knew he hadn't done a good enough job. And, and then he says one Sunday it finally dawned on him that salvation was not by his efforts. It wasn't by his trying harder, but rather it was a gift from God given freely to anyone who put their trust in Jesus. And so he says at that point, he thinks he finally became a Christian for real. His prayer that Sunday was simple. He prayed, dear God, I quit. (laughs) Dear God, I quit trying to keep the rules. Dear God, instead, I'm going to trust a person. I'm going to trust Jesus. Have you quit? Have, have you quit trying to keep God's commands in order to get right with God and to be blessed? Or are you trying to have it both ways, to trust Jesus for sure, but also to do God's commands just for good measure? Jesus says you can't have it, or Paul says, rather, you can't have it both ways. And trying to be right with God by keeping the commands only leads to a curse. Rather, you're supposed to live your salvation the the same way you got your salvation. You trust a person. You trust in Jesus Christ and you walk with him wherever he leads you, just like Abraham walked with him. During the Depression in the the 1930s, the story is told of a, a timid old lady who walked up to the desk of an insurance company in Minneapolis. With trembling hands, she took out of her well worn purse an old policy, and she regretfully explained that she was unable to meet the current premium. She explained it was hard for her to get work, and the little that she got was hardly enough to clothe and to feed her and to keep a roof over her head. Well, after a quick investigation, the clerk recognized that the policy was very valuable, and he warned the old lady that she was making an unwise move to stop payment. Didn't her husband have anything to say about this? It was his policy made out to her benefit, the clerk explained. My husband? Oh, he's been dead for three years, she remarked sadly. Well, immediately the company officials went into action. They, they soon discovered she was telling the truth. And what she didn't understand was that the policy was her husband's and that she was the beneficiary at his death. The, the insurance company was thus obliged to refund the, the past three years overpaid premiums plus the full amount for which the husband had insured his life in her favor. And the money was sufficient to keep her in comfort for the rest of her life. Now here's the thing. The greatest life insurance policy of all time came due when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yet so many of us are trying to make payments on our own salvation still. Well, all we need to do is to accept the immeasurable gift. 
that's ours when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we live our salvation? We live it the same way we got it. Not by doing God's command, says Paul, but by trusting a person, Jesus Christ. But won't that make Christians bad people? <laughs> because they, they overlook God's commands? Well, no way. Because there's nobody more grateful than somebody who really understands how much God has blessed them and how little they deserve it. And if, if we're trusting Christ, he's not going to leave us how he found us. No, he's going to lead us forward. In fact, he's going to totally change us. He's going to radically transform us step by step. Do you still trust him? <laughs> so sure, we're going to become good people. But it's not because we're keeping a set of rules. Rather, it's because we're trusting a person. We're trusting Christ. We're trusting the Holy Spirit, God's own presence, whom God gave us to be with us, to change us, to lead us, and to guide us. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus to do what we could never do. And um, maybe some of us, we've been trying to uh, earn your acceptance by trying harder, by doing more, by trying to be good enough. And uh, so God, for, for anyone who wants to say this right now, I want to invite them to say, dear God, I quit. God, we can't trust you completely. We can't trust Jesus completely. And yet at the same time, try to do it ourselves for good measure. Thank you that you have offered us what you gave Abraham, the blessing, the promise, the future, the hope, the promise that one day you would send your Holy Spirit to be with us. You gave all of that to Abraham as a gift because he put his trust in you. I pray this morning that as we hear your word that our hearts would find that we trust you as well. May we trust Jesus every day. And may our lives be radically transformed as a result. Amen.